0: This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning, everybody, and a very happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room and my dad online, wherever you get the chance to uh, catch up on uh, the NVBC service. Well, on this Father's Day, I'd love to start this morning by just bragging on the guys in this church for a minute or two, if that's okay with you. I've got to know some of you, and I get to experience some of your life and your ministry. And I just want to shout out that over the last three weeks, I've seen some things, I've experienced some things of the men in the life of our church that I want to celebrate. In the last three weeks, I watched a man across um, the auditorium publicly intercede over the life of one of his kids. He was going through a tough season. Over the last three weeks, I had a man kneel next to me and intercede over my family. And my it's going to be a messy sermon today, guys. <laughs> intercede over me and my, my, um, my marriage and my family, so moved by God and what he was praying through tears, sharing with me what he sensed God wanted to speak uh, into my life. Over the last three weeks, I've seen a man with the most faith and courage I've seen deal with something that's decades long in his life. Over the last few weeks, I've seen men abandoned in worship, hands raised, hearts inclined towards the living God without any kind of fear or self-consciousness of what other people will think about the expressiveness of their worship. Over the last three weeks, I've known of men who have served humbly, faithfully, practically, quietly, behind the scenes, not out of obligation, not drawing attention to themselves, just lovingly being the hands and feet of Jesus. And that included a man who dropped all of his plans the other afternoon to go help somebody who he hadn't even met yet. I've heard the stories of men in the life of our church who have opened up their homes to welcome people to live with them for a while when they needed it. And over the months that I've been here, I've met men and I've talked to men who are not afraid to confess sin and turn back to God, whose hearts are for their kids to know and love Jesus, and who contend for their marriages with passion and commitment and loyalty and love. And so I wanted to start this morning by acknowledging that I'm really proud to be counted as one of the men of this church. Men who may not live perfectly, but are actively pursuing a greater godliness in their life. Men whose hearts are soft towards the living God. Men who are not afraid to love God with their whole hearts and to love their families And their friends and be known in their workplace as men who love radically and who love well so men this morning this message my brothers is for us and i've called it dear men of the church well we are continuing our series through james's new testament letter to the churches And I don't know if you've ever had this experience in a conversation with someone before, where you're having a conversation about a particular subject, and then all out of nowhere, all of a sudden, without any kind of warning, without any kind of seemingly link, they just bang, they hit your left field with something completely different. Have you ever had that experience? And you're left being like, well, hang on a minute, how do we get here? What are you even talking about? Right? That's how the book of James sometimes reads, okay? Uh, So last week, Johnny looked at the end of chapter 3, where James is talking about wisdom that comes from above. And he's very clearly talking to everybody. It's a message for everybody. Uh, And then in chapter 4, which I looked at a little bit last Sunday night, uh, he's writing instructions about interpersonal relationships and what not to do. And he's very clearly talking to everybody, And then out of nowhere, he just changes tact. And he singles out this subgroup of a very specific segment of the church. And he's got something to say to them that he really, really wants them to hear. And he wants them to heed. And this is James chapter 4, um, verse 13. And it starts this way. Now listen. Ooh. Have you ever heard that being said to you before? (laughs) Maybe by a parent, (laughs) teacher, a boss, a spouse, I don't know. (laughs) Now listen, listen up, pay attention. He's really trying to get through to them. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He's got very much in mind a clear demographic target audience that he's addressing this to, isn't it? Uh, It's those who conduct business, who who move around uh, in order to make money. This is their career, this is their job. Maybe they're tradespeople or merchants, maybe entertainers. Maybe some sort of goods or service that they move from city to city to sell in order to make a living. Now, obviously, this would not be, even then, limited solely to guys, But in a first-century context, the majority of who he's talking to would be what? it would be men. Working men. Career men. Men with jobs, with bills to pay, with families to provide for. Those who have to think about meeting the material needs of themselves and, and others. And I think maybe he's speaking to us as well this morning. And he wants this particular group of the church to heed two things in these couple of verses that we'll explore together this morning. And the first one is this, is that godly men, men of God, submit themselves and their plans to God. Godly men, men of God, submit themselves and their plans to God. Out of all the different expectations that are placed on them, out of all the different options that are available to them, out of all the different pressures and voices, men of God look to Him to be the one who shapes and directs their lives. Now, you may not know about this about me, but um, I grew up going to school at the local primary school, and it was a fairly nice affair. Uh, It was a small little suburb, so it was a small little suburban primary school, co-ed. They didn't stretch us particularly much. They kind of cared for us in a reasonable way. Um, The suburb wasn't too poor, so we didn't have some of those problems, but nor were we too affluent, and we didn't have some of those problems. It was just a nice, everyday, public primary school as part of the community. And then I hit year seven, and I switched over to the private all-boys high school. Yeah, you're judging me now, aren't you? <laughs> I have this vivid memory of being this year seven boy in this locker room in my first week and experiencing what I now would call culture shock. <laughs> so, all these guys had kind of grown up together through the primary school, and there's obviously all these guys were already part of the high school, and you just went, wow, this is a different culture in this place. And I worked out very quickly that there were things that were going to be expected of me as a guy in that environment. It's a little bit lore of the jungle, eat or be eaten, right? And so I learned, if I'm going to survive in this culture, if I'm going to thrive in this school environment, I'm going to need to grow a really thick skin, and I'm going to need to be quick-witted and sharp-tongued. And if I can do that, I'm going to be fine. And so I changed and I molded and I adapted and found my place in the pecking order and the hierarchy and carried on my schooling. Um, It's funny, isn't it? It's funny the expectations that are placed on us of what it means to be guys, what it means to be a man, what it means to behave and interact with other fellas. And all the expectations that get placed on us, they just accumulate as we go through life. I don't know if anyone else has experienced this whether it's the opinions of our parents about what we should or or shouldn't do, whether it's that feeling that we need to be a certain way or we need to earn a certain amount of money or look a certain way in order to be a man of value. I don't know how many of you hang around podcasts and see what's being kind of put out online on social media at the moment. Hopefully you're wiser than me. (laughs) Uh, But there's this real move at the moment where every... Self-professed alpha male has found himself a mic and a podcast and wants to extol the values that if you want to be a man of value, you need to be disciplined and have hustle and have grind and be successful and be, and be wealthy. And there's all these women that are going on this podcast that talk about trying to find a man of value and what they really are talking about, a man of financial means and financial success. And so it's makes sense, isn't it, that as guys that we go through and we pick careers and we pick jobs and all the expectations, they kind of layer up and we need to provide and we we want to earn a living and we want to be this and we want to be that, we want to do this and we want to do that. And there's a self-reliance, if we're not careful, that's a part of that. A self-centeredness, a self-serving that is part of what we see and what James is calling out here. You know, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city, that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll make some bank, we'll make some money, we'll make a name for ourselves, we'll become successful, we will feel like we are men of value because of what we are doing and what we are achieving, and our other mates will see us as men of values because we are successful in business and we're doing well for ourselves. And James just calls it out. He says, you guys, you're part of the church, You you sit in church, you, you believe in Jesus and this other portion of your life where you spend so much of your time, where you spend so much of your energy, mental and emotional energy, this other part of your life that directs so much about how you see yourselves and what you do with your lives, you're living without reference to God. And he just calls it out and he says, such boasting He's arrogant, self-centered, self-serving. And not just arrogant, it's actually, it's actually evil. <laughs> but to live this way is anti-God. To, to not look to him, to be dependent upon him, to rely on him, to live for him, it's evil. And he says, you know what, it's foolish as well. Because you know, you're not in control of your life. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to be around the corner. What is your life? You're a mist, you're a vapor, you're foolish. Don't be so arrogant in this self-centered boasting. You know, as I've reflected on this passage um, this week, um, I wonder if there's another group that maybe we could kind of wrap up and include in this instruction. Uh, And it's not necessarily the guys that are so filled with self-confidence and self-belief and are kind of directing their paths but it's the guys who feel that they need to do this in order for others. So it's not actually coming from that place of self-centered, arrogant boasting, but it's almost coming from this feel, this need, and this expectation that I I must do this in order to be seen as somebody in the eyes of others. And so they boast because they think that's what we're supposed to do. Well, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna achieve this. This is going well, see what's happening here. Aren't I successful? Aren't I a man of value? <laughs> Please, validate me. Maybe even a third group I think that you can include in this as well. And it's the man who feel trapped. Trapped in this pattern of living, in this pattern of behaviour. Don't know how to get out of it. Anybody a Joe Rogan podcast fan in the room? This comes with no judgement associated. Yeah, yeah, oh, people are pointing fingers at each other. That's good. (laughs) A couple of years ago, um, Joe Rogan made popular again a a really famous quote by a guy by the name of Henry David Thoreau. Uh, And Henry, he's quoted, as an older dude, um, saying this, that most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with a song still in them. It's this idea that guys feel trapped in this hamster wheel, <laughs> that I need to do more, produce more, and I'm stuck in this career, I've got all these responsibilities, I've got these commitments, and I, and I, I can't, ah, I can't get myself out of it. And, and there's this idea that there's this song within them, that they know that they were designed for more, that they were created for more that they actually want to live lives with purpose and make a difference, to feel that they're contributing to something that's eternally significant and yet are mortgaged up and, oh, they're in the careers and now, they're too old and they, they just, they're just stuck, trapped, feel trapped in this cycle. Most massive men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation, Henry David Thoreau says. And James would want to say to the men, in our church and in the men in our world, there is another way. There is a different way. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Right, at its most basic, obviously this is just a recognition that God is sovereign and in control and not to be presumptuous about the rest of the course of our lives. But at a deeper level... I think James is instructing and he's challenging and he's inviting us to actually recognise that we can live lives that are led not by the expectations that others place on us or the false narratives that we place on ourselves, but lives that are led by the living God, that we actually look to him to guide us, him to direct our steps, him to empower us and for us to live lives that honour and glorify him, and are therefore are filled with so much purpose and eternal significance. Are you with me? That's good. It's very quiet this morning. It could just be bacon and egg rolls, digesting. I don't know, is this like a post-B&E roll? Like, is it, yeah? Is that a thing? That's a thing. Have a coffee too. <laughs> Dear men in the church, godly men, men of God, submit themselves and their plans to God. You know, about 19 years ago, I moved away from my family home um, and I moved states and I moved uh, into Bible college following what I believed was the call of God on my life. I was just being responsive and faithful and obedient to what I sensed God was leading me uh, into. Uh, and, and at that time, um, a little bit different these days, but at that time, Bible colleges were filled with what you would expect, young men and women like me, who were young adults who were growing up in the, ch- up in the church, um, and it kind of almost made sense for them to be where they were, studying at Bible college. But I have to say, maybe the story of how people got to Bible college it impressed me the most for those that had lived a little bit more of life. And so there was this one guy who was studying with us, Uh, We all thought he was old, now that I'm this age, he probably wasn't that old, Um, but he had, uh, he definitely had kids, he was, he was approaching empty nest, uh, um, so had a couple of uh, kids in late teenage years, Uh, and he was a really successful real estate agent from the regions, and he talked to us about some of the sales that he made and some of the commissions that he earned, and it was pretty impressive, I have to say, as a 21-year-old kid being like, wow, you are doing well for yourself. But he found himself at Bible college following what he believed was the call of God on his life. And as this 50, I'm assuming something year old man, he submitted himself and he submitted his plans to God. He actually had an an open-handedness with God. He had a great career, a great life. All his mates and all his family really respected him for how successful he was. And yet he found himself at Bible college where all the people in his life, uh, I think his wife was super supportive, but you know, his mates were just like, what are you doing? You know, has to hand back the keys to the fancy Novated lease car that was, you know, part of the package of his real estate agent, uh, real estate um, agent life and all that kind of stuff, and found himself studying um, for ministry. But he wasn't a man who was leading a life of quiet desperation. He was a man who was living a life of courage and faith and kingdom adventure, Uh, and chatting to to Barry, his name was, chatting to Baz, uh, he was experiencing such a renewed sense of purpose, uh, and fulfillment, and joy, and hope for the next chapter in his life with God. Uh, Not because God had led him to Bible college, necessarily, but it's because he was where God wanted him to be, and he knew it. And he was doing what God, he knew God was calling him to do. And it filled his life with this deeper purpose, this greater sense of awe and wonder that God would use him, that God would work through him. He submitted himself and his plans to God and allowed God to direct his life. And these are the kinds of men I think James is hoping to see rise up in the church. And you know what? These are the kind of men that God is looking to stand up and be counted in the church today. God is looking for men like this, who submit themselves to God, and submit their plans to God, looking to Him to lead and guide them. You know, one of my favorite Bible verses, um, growing up as a, as a young man, uh, was this one from 2 Chronicles. For the eyes of the Lord ranged throughout the earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, back then, the translation was a little bit older. So it called out looking for a man whose heart was fully committed to him. It's a powerful verse for a young man to hear and to be aware of and to listen to and lean into. And in one sense, it's almost a ridiculous image, right? Because we know that the Bible speaks about the fact that God is spirit, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. He is everywhere. And yet, the image is of like heaven sitting above the earth with a little balcony or something, and God one day kind of going out to his balcony and getting out his binoculars. Uh, maybe his little, you know, pirate thing. You have a little look through. Or maybe one of those, if you've seen those looking glasses on, on vantage points and things, you know, God goes out, puts the dollar in it, and starts looking, looking across the earth. Where are the men? Where's the godly men? roaming to and fro, looking north and south, east and west. Where are they? <laughs> God asking and God looking, where are the men of God who know what it is to be known by me and loved by me and who put me first? Where are the men of God who don't abdicate their spiritual authority in their household who don't outsource the discipleship of their kids, but who step up into the fullness of what they are created to be, to intercede and to model and to spiritually lead and train their children in the ways of the Lord. God looking across the earth, where are the men of God who call sin, sin, and are committed to holiness and training themselves in godliness, as the scriptures call us to, who crucify the flesh with its old passions and desires and anything that comes between them and God. God looking across the earth, where are the men of God who are morally pure in their marriages and before marriage? Men of integrity who are the same men on Sunday and in their Bible study as they are in their workplace. Where are the men of God whose hearts are for me? God looking to and fro, north and south, east and west. Where are they in Wyoming? Where are they in Lizaroe? Where are they in Gosford? Where are they on Father's Day? God's looking for men like this in order to strengthen them. In order to lead them. Do you understand that? In order to empower them to live lives for him. Live lives of eternal significance allow his anointing and his favor and his presence to rest on men such as these. Dear men of the church, godly men, men of God, submit themselves and their plans to God. Does anybody um, quite enjoy reading about the rituals in other cultures around the world? This can be really fascinating, can't it? because um, in Australia, in the West, you don't actually really have many rituals uh, as a culture, as a society. Um, you can't really call Christmas and Easter, they're not really rituals. You know, like, um, like life transition rituals. Uh, and so throughout um, the world, there are some great, what we would call manhood ceremonies, or manhood rites of passage. Rites of passage. Uh, and there's some great ones there. You know, the kind of ones that you'd, you'd imagine where a young boy uh, is kind of given, you know, a, a rusty knife and a pack of matches and they say, all right, go out into the wilderness for 10 days and come back a man, you know, wearing the skin of some bear you've slain and, you know, bringing a slaughtered calf back to the village and then, then we'll see you as a man, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, they're everywhere and they're really quite fascinating. Um, this one always gets a Guernsey. I don't know if you know this one, this is sort of the death deathly um, manhood ceremony um, and so there's this, this tribe and they build these giant towers and um, yeah, it's not elastic, is it? So we couldn't call it bungee jumping. Uh, so they climb to the top and they just like, jump down. And, and the whole purpose of this ceremony is, is that the higher you get and the closer you get to the ground, without being permanently disabled, I guess, uh, the more of a man you are. Uh, but these rites of passage in other cultures, in other societies, they're, they're designed to be this moment where, where boys recognise that they've become men. And the men say to them, we are now going to see you as a man, we're going to treat you as a man, we're going to expect you to live as a man, and you are one of us now. This is real, quite significant demarcation in his rite of passage uh, in other cultures. So a couple of years ago, I was um, talking to a dad in the life of our church, and he was lamenting the fact that something like that didn't exist in our culture and in our society. Um, He had three boys uh, who were moving into young adults. They will becoming adults. And he's like, well, well, I want to mark this somehow. I want to capture some of this rite of passageness for them. And so for each one of his sons, he did what we just call a manhood ceremony, which is a terrible name, but we didn't know what else to call it. Uh, and what he would do is he, he'd, invite, um, he'd invite some really godly men in the lives of his sons to come to this manhood ceremony. He'd invite their peers, he'd invite key family members, he'd invite key spiritual figures uh, in in their lives. Um, And I got invited into the the last one of these he did with his youngest son, and he gave us months of notice. And he said, I want you to really think and to really prayerfully consider what you would like to bring to speak into the life of my son. What piece of advice would you have for him about being a godly man? What kind of wisdom would you share? What do you want to speak into his life? And then everyone was invited to actually bring something as a gift that symbolized in some way what they were speaking into the life of their son. And he kept reminding us for months leading up to it, take this seriously, pray about this, think about this. And I have to say, it was the most phenomenal evening. Uh, so all these guys gather together and we have a classic guy meal full of meat and, um, you know, I'm sure, non-alcoholic ginger beer and things like that, uh, gathered around the fireplace at the end of the night uh, and these men from all these different generations that have been very deliberately hand-picked and chosen to be part of this ceremony, if you like, take turns in speaking into this young man's life. And I've got to tell you, the gold <laughs> that was shared around the campfire that evening was beautiful. And if that young man took on 20% of what was said that day, he is going to live a phenomenally wise and rich and God-honoring life. Uh, But it came to my turn, and I'd obviously been sitting with this question for months, what am I going to speak, what am I going to share into the life of this young man as he truly transitions into um, being an adult? And I had this real sense from God leading up to it, and um, there was obviously some more words I, I put around it. But, but the crux of what I shared and the climax of my little, little mini-speech was this: this charge to him. I said, be the godly man. That's my advice to you, is to be the godly man. Don't just talk about it. Don't just dream about it. Don't just look to others as inspirations. Don't think this is something that's going to happen some way down there as you live longer. Don't just teach it to others and instruct those under your care to grow up and be this. You be the godly man. I really hope he took it on, but for his dad and myself, it was so significant, and we've honestly, we've come back to it time and time again, and for those who know him, you've heard him share a bit of that story. Be the godly man. You know, as we've sat with the book of James, I reckon if he was sitting around the campfire at that ceremony, he may well have just nodded sagely and said what he said. Because I think that's very much James's heart for the church. And very much James's heart for the men of the church. If anyone then, verse 17, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It's a charge to be the godly men. To not just be content sitting in church to not be content having shed ourselves from some of the more obvious moral failings, but to step in and to pursue all of the fullness of what God has for us in our walk with him, in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Dear men of the church, godly men, men of God, courageously live out their convictions, and their calling. And I tell you what, aren't we blessed when they do? Godly men, men of God, courageously live out their convictions and their calling. I'm going to invite the um, the band up. We're going to respond after I pray for us fellas. We picked a lovely song. Uh, it's called Canvas and the Clay. Um, and it's the idea that this isn't another self-help kind of message or guys, we just need to do better message. We actually want to respond by recognizing that we are known by God, loved by God, created by God, that we are in the palm of his hand, and he is the one who is shaping us, and he is the one who is molding us. And he's not finished with us yet. He's not done with this work of transformation in our lives. We're not those who are going around planning as if God doesn't exist. We're not those who feel trapped by the expectations that others have of us or that we falsely place on ourselves. We're those who look to him, who submit our lives to him and look to him to lead us. And with courage and faith and full conviction, we step into being the godly man that he has called us to be. So, Father, I want to thank you for the men of this church God, I want to thank you for the faith that I see, the love that I see, the courage that I see, the service that I see. I want to celebrate that we are a collection of saved men, adopted and welcomed into a relationship with you, God. It changes everything. It changes everything. Father, we look to you to lead us. We look to you to shape us, to form us, to transform us into the men that, honestly, Jesus, we desire to be. We want to become more like you. We want to ever increasingly become the men we know that we were designed and we were called and we were set apart to be. For your sake, for our sake, for the sake of the young men coming up behind us who are looking to us to model what it means to follow Jesus, for the sake of our families, our neighborhoods, our churches, would you help us be this kind of men? So mould us, Lord. Mould us and lead us. And give us the grace to be patient with ourselves in the process. With faith and courage and a heart full of hope. To follow you all the days of our lives. To you be the glory in our lives forever and ever.